Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Uh, welcome back, and I'd like to introduce my guest, who is a nuclear physicist, physicist, and CEO of Stratec Business Strategy Consultants, a project management company which is based here in Pretoria. Um, he's part of the Stratec Nuclear Consortium, which is developing the HTMR 100 nuclear reactor and carries out business strategy development and project planning in a wide variety of fields. And this morning we'd like to chat about small nuclear reactors, uh, which I came, I came across an article by uh, Dr. Kim, Dr. Kelvin Kim, and I'd like to pursue that side this morning now that we've dealt with the bad business side. Dr. Kim, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sarah. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. My pleasure. Can, perhaps we can we just go back to sort of take a step back before we look at the, at the possibilities. There seems in what strikes me as very strange in here in, the, in 2022, a, 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 an enormous resistance to nuclear power as a way to be part of the power solution, both here and in other parts of the world. And given what I know and what I've read and what I've read in your article about it, it's the safest, most reliable, ultimately cheapest way of providing energy to people. Why, why is that still a, a, a bugbear, a sort of a, a thing that, that people can't seem to get their head round, heads around? Well, actually, the story goes a lot deeper than the superficial. And this is where the problem lies. And in fact, a lot of it is coming to light now in that what has happened is over some decades now, the extreme green movements around the world have tried to limit GDP growth in countries. Mm. I've had face-to-face -face meetings with environmentalists in Germany, France, Switzerland, and so on, and they've told me to my face that Africa must not be allowed to have more than 10% growth in electricity. And they mean 10% ever, not 10% mm. per annum. Mm. They said to me, we cannot allow a farmer who's currently plowing with an ox and a wooden plower to get a tractor because then he'll get diesel and then they'll have to travel down the road with it. There'll be exhaust fumes. He will drop diesel on the ground and oil will drip in and blah, 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 and blah. So what has happened, this whole false story about the climate issues, which we can have another discussion maybe one day, but I'm one of the people who does not believe that we have a climate crisis. This whole thing has been exaggerated no end. And therefore, they've come out with this attack on coal-fired power stations around the world to reduce CO2, which is actually not necessary. But ab above that, uh, beyond that, it's a case of them not wanting a solution. So what has happened is that they now advocate wind and solar, which are self-limiting. You don't get any solar at night, and you only get wind when the wind blows. Mm. So if it's nighttime and the wind drops, you get nothing. And therefore, their prices or a hoodwink, to put it bluntly, because they'll tell you how cheap solar and wind is, but at night when the wind doesn't blow, there isn't any, which means you've got to use solar, you've got to use uh, something like pump storage, or you've got to use coal, or you've got to use nuclear as a backup. So throughout the day, the coal-fired power station, if it's on standby for wind and solar, which is the case in Germany, I've been to Germany, I've visited these places, I've seen them. The coal-fired power station staff stand there all day long doing nothing while the sun is shining and while the wind is blowing. 
and the, they get paid. And the fact that they're getting paid during the daytime to produce no electricity should be added onto the cost of the wind power, but it isn't. Then when the wind drops, they get an urgent phone call, ramp up very fast now to fill the gap. So it's up, down, up, down, you know, and a cloud comes over and so on, your solar goes. So the reality of the situation is these people have not wanted nuclear. By far the majority of people with green thoughts are nice, decent people who feel they're doing the right thing for the planet. But so many do not realize that they are following an ideology that does not want electricity growth. Mm. Now, I must point out that world electricity consumption doubled in the last 25 years. All indications are it will double in the next 25 years. In fact, it will probably go faster because more countries are becoming electrified that previously weren't, and there's more and more electrical items coming about on a daily basis. So South Africa has got to say, we have to double electricity consumption, not just survive. Mm. Now, I like to make the point that right now, South Africa is facing a six-month problem and a six-year problem. The six months is people are saying, can we get from here to Christmas without much load shedding, hopefully without any load shedding? And as you've already indicated, it's unlikely. You know, the load shedding is here for a while. That's due to a lack of maintenance in the power stations and a few other things which we've got no option but to battle now right at the coal face, excuse the pun. Mm. But what we also have is a six-year problem. If we don't show big companies like Ford is wanting to expand their plant in Pretoria and so on. If you don't tell companies like that, that half a dozen years from now, we will be able to supply you big electricity to run your plant, they're not going to come here. They're going to go to the far east or they're going to go somewhere else. So right now, we're affecting the income of the country in six years' time if we do not show people that in six years' time we'll have electricity. And the solution is coal and nuclear. Mm. So... One thing I must praise Minister Gwedi Mantashi for is he's had the courage to stand up and say that. He said mm. we need coal and we need nuclear. We've been bullied a lot by European countries, particularly countries like Germany. Germany can't get the solar and wind to work. And yet they come here and tell us we must do it their way. Germany is so small that the whole of Germany will fit into the Karoo, believe it or not. And there were a lot of people packed in there. So the entire circumstances are different to ours. And people like that come here and say, do it our way. Then they come with bribes like this eight and a half billion that they come and offer South Africa to help us do the transition. Mm. But what they don't tell you is behind the scenes, they say, on condition that you do what we tell you. Mm. You must use that money to buy wind turbines from Germany, this type of thing. So as far as nuclear is concerned, as you said, it's the cheapest, it's the safest, it's the greenest. Right now, Kuburg is producing the cheapest electricity in South Africa at around 40 cents, way under anything else. Then you get anti-nuclear people say, oh, but that's unfair because it's already paid off the capital cost. And you say, but that's why we did it. Mm. But if you've got the option of renting a house or buying a house. On the day you buy the house, I can remember when I bought my house many years ago. You walk out saying, well, thank you, I, I've just by the house, you say, my golly, look at the size of the debt I've got to pay. Mm. It's way beyond what you actually physically have at that moment. But you've signed up for a bond that lost some decades. It's the same with the nuclear power station. You hear it being said, oh, it's too expensive. It isn't expensive. If you look at the lifetime and say, what is this going to cost us a period of time? Mm -hmm. Do you know that we've already spent some 250 million, billion, sorry, 250 billion on wind and solar? 
since mm. it started. One entire nuclear power station will cost $250 billion. And yet in 2008, we were told we didn't have the money. Mm. But somehow the money was found to put wind and solar in place where none of the solar works in the dark and the wind may or may not work daily depending on the weather. Mm. So there's actually no logical reason why you can't put nuclear in. It's a psychological war between green extremists and realists. And mm. the green extremists are people that are prepared to cause rioting in the streets and so on and so forth. Mm. So it's not a, a, a level playing field. Um, can, I, can I ask, I'm, I'm aware that the big companies, particularly mining companies, are under pressure by international shareholders to, impl to implement green energy, uh, wind and solar. But it strikes me from looking at your article that much of what could reliably make the difference is, in fact, your modular reactors. Um, and perhaps you could give me an, give us an idea of what is what, what the small modular reactors are and why, you know, the, the, why the image of nuclear energy being sort of a bomb over Hiroshima is so is so far away from the, uh, the the technology that goes into building nuclear now and 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 why it's safe it, it, you, you don't have a you won't have a bomb in your backyard well very good points that you make of course that the world's worst public relations birth for a product is the bombing of japan you know mm. it's been people first heard of nuclear it was killing people. Imagine if somebody came out with a new washing powder and they said, well, in the first week, the washing powder killed a couple of hundred people, but we've got it right now. Nobody's ever going to touch it. <laughs> so there was that initially that people said no nuclear when they meant uh, no nuclear weapons. So, but that's passed now. However, South Africa has been in the game a long time. Kuburg is the most southerly nuclear power station in the world and the only nuclear power station in Africa. Interestingly, the Americans started their Atomic Energy Commission in 1946. South Africa started its Nuclear Energy Corporation here in 1948. As far as I'm aware, we're the third oldest nuclear country in the world. So we've been in this game a long time. We're very competent. So what happened is, if you look at the coal fields of South Africa, the coal fields are all in the far northeast, in Pumalanga. Believe it or not, the distance between Pretoria and Cape Town is the same as Rome to London. Now, Kuburg produces about half the electricity of the Western Cape, but the other half comes from the coal fields. When I was in London, I said to some of the people, how would you like it if half of London's electricity is drawn from Rome? And they said, we would never do anything so dumb, but we do. Mm. So if we're going to look to double electricity consumption and increase the GDP of South Africa, we've got to produce more electricity like on the coastlines of the three capes and near centers such as mining centers that are um, the big users. It's silly to push all the electricity across the nation from Mpumalanga. So South Africa, looking at this, um, still in the 1990s, said we need to be able to build smallish power stations near gold mines. So the decision was made to look into building small modular reactors. Now, Kuburg is 2,000 megawatts. The small modular reactor is 100 megawatts. That's like comparing a truck with a bucky. So the Small modular reactors could be built there. And the idea was no water cooling. Mm -hmm. So we said gas cooling, so we use helium. So South Africa became the first country in the world to start designing a commercial small modular reactor. 
That was known as the Pebble Bed Modular mm. Reactor. That developed into a huge project, total staff of 2,000. We were ready to start building. They actually ordered the pressure vessel. It arrived in South Africa. Today it still sits in storage in Richards Bay. And then a few things happened around the world that stopped the project. A group broke, broke away from that and then said, right, we will privately form our own nuclear reactor company and we will design a new reactor called the HTMR100. And the HTMR100 had two crucial differences. They reduced the temperature that it operated at from 940 to 750, and they put in a water heat exchanger, making it much cheaper and simpler to build. We're now in a position that we can do it. There's a collaboration of companies in Pretoria. There's STL, there's Resonant, there's Stratic, and there's a couple of others that are have grouped together and are saying we can collectively build this privately. So what we need now is money. Mm. Interestingly, over the past year, over a dozen people have contacted me from around the world to say, all right, they're interested in putting money into our reactor. When you ask them for figures like $500 million, there's nothing. The money is not the problem. Mm. The issue to them, number one, is can they finance nuclear and not get into trouble in their own countries? Mm -hmm. And number two is do they believe that South Africans can do this? And those are the two issues to get this money. Now, just recently, a few days ago, in fact, the European Parliament uh, decided that nuclear was green as far as their taxonomy is concerned. And that's mm. a very important step because it mm. now allows nuclear to qualify for green funds and so on and so forth. So there's been a huge surge towards nuclear now. And uh, so we're very hopeful. And people are now realizing that South Africa has got what I think is the best small modular reactor in the world and the one that's most advanced. You, If you look on the internet, you'll find companies like Rolls-Royce and various others uh, saying a lot about small modular reactors. But I saw the Rolls-Royce people in London and they said to me, golly, you South Africans are so far ahead of us because they're building only the last generation reactor, which mm -hmm. is called Generation 3. Our reactor is a Generation 4 reactor, completely advanced technology in comparison to the Rolls-Royce one. So we're way ahead, but people are quite prepared to believe Rolls-Royce or to believe Americans. It's difficult for people to believe South Africans, mm -hmm. and that's where we stand. But we're getting no money in South Africa to help us with the marketing and the promotion. People are doing it out of their own pocket. They're scraping the bottom of the barrel and so on. So we desperately need investors to come in at this stage, even with a little bit of money, to help us keep pushing. I must say, we're getting the support of the minister. Um, he's moving towards this, but still we need some, some money to, to keep the show on the road, so to speak. Can I, can I ask um, what... How for roughly would a, a modular reactor? How what's the size compared to what we're used to seeing as a as a as a, as a, a sort of full size uh, nuclear power station? And wh where where does the modular part of the of the title come into how the the, the uh, plant is used? Okay, well the total size of the reactor will fit on a on a rugby field, so it's small. The, the area that we've got for our one is like two rugby fields, but that's because we've got lots of space in South Africa and there's spacious areas to put the car park and so on. But physically, you can put it on a, on a rugby field. A great advantage is that you can start off with one reactor, which is the 100 megawatt reactor. Later, if you wanted to add two, three, four reactors, you can just add extra reactors and connect them to the same control room. 
something like locomotives on a big train. You could have two, three, four, five locomotives on a big train with one driver. So it makes it financially very attractive to African countries that they can buy one and then add one, two, three. And it's simpler for them to plan for. So um, <clears throat> the size is like that. Now, as far as modular is concerned, the plan is that you build most of it indoors because a problem in the past has always been when you're outdoors welding, you've got people sitting in South Africa, we fortunately got sunshine and other countries, you never know when it's going to be raining and so on in Europe and you're trying to weld and connect and so on outdoors. If you build all the parts indoors, you've got the advantage of laser beams and computerization and all sorts of modern fabrication techniques. But like a Lego set, you build all the parts indoors as much as you can, then you just transport all the parts to site and you put it all together like a Lego set. Mm -hmm. That's where the modular comes into it, that you can make this thing like that. I must emphasize also the fuel. Um, it's a huge plus for nuclear reactors. If you look at Kuberg, for example, Kuberg is a 2,000 megawatt. If Kuberg were a coal-fired power station, it would use six train loads of coal every day. <laughs> but in fact, it uses one truckload of nuclear fuel every year. And all of the, the spent fuel, which is the, what's called nuclear waste, that has ever been generated in nearly 40 years at Kuburg is still stored on site perfectly safely. Mm -hmm. There's no way you could put 40 years worth of coal ash on the property of the power station. It becomes a problem to dissipate that ash and get rid of it. So a country can buy pebble fuel. Now, the pebble fuel is the black ball about the size of a cricket ball. And there's a few grams of enriched uranium inside this graphite ball. You can hold the ball in your hand and play with it and so on before it goes into reactor. They wouldn't allow you to. It would be illegal, but not because it's dangerous. It's just you don't do that with valuable things. But it's quite safe to hold one of these balls before it goes into the reactor. When it comes out of the reactor, one of those balls will kill you. If it dropped into your lounge and bounced on the floor, you, you wouldn't get out alive probably. Then it's very dangerous. But the scientists know that. The reactor's been designed to have bunkers on site that 40 years' worth of spent fuel can be stored on site before Dr. you have to... Can I hold uh, you there uh, as we go to the marketplace? Because I'd just like to ask you uh, exactly about that story because that's that's part of the uh, the what gets people so emotional. So bear with us and uh, we'll come back to that. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Dr. Kim, you were saying that the 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 fuel, um, if essentially in the, the shape of a of a cricket ball or the size of a cricket ball were to be dropped into a house, it would kill you. But the the engineers understand that. Um, so, could you take us through what would then be done to make it manageable to be stored without without risk to anyone? Well, you you plan and simply look after it professionally. You know, you, say, you can say that at that point it's very dangerous, but so is a packet of sleeping pills. If you take a whole packet of sleeping pills to give you a good night's sleep, you'll never wake up. Mm. If you pour five liters of petrol on your head and strike a match, you've finished. So there's a lot of day-to-day -day things that are very dangerous if you do something stupid with them. Nuclear engineers and nuclear scientists don't do stupid things with nuclear spent nuclear fuel. And so often it's irritating that 
people go out and spread word amongst the public as if nuclear engineers are complete idiots. They've never thought of this. They've never thought of that. That's never occurred to us. Believe me, there are huge groups that get together and study these things in great depth. Amazing stuff that people have never heard of. What would happen if an airplane crashes here? What would happen? All that is done. So nuclear fuel is perfectly safe when it's in the hands of professional people. Now, South Africa's got a, a waste facility called Falpits in the, in the Northern Cape. It's one of the biggest nuclear waste facilities in the world, and it's been running for nearly 40 years, entirely staffed by South Africans very competently. And all potential waste that comes from hospitals, nuclear medicine units, and everything is professionally stored there, everything. So if there's some nuclear waste that originates in Pretoria or Cape Town in a medical facility at a hospital, it ends up underground in the Northern Cape in a numbered drum. The drum's contents are stored in the computer, so at any stage in the future, you can look up drum number so-and-so, so-and-so, and it tells you what's in there. I have no problem with us handling that waste. Now, I must emphasize, nuclear power is totally safe, and I'm prepared to say that. The a nuclear power station like Kuburg running on a daily basis, there's nothing that comes out of it. There's no radioactive gas, no radioactive water, no, nothing that comes out of the nuclear power station. And often people are told, oh, you don't live near the power station. Believe me, if you want to go and pitch a tent in the grounds of Kuburg and live there for the next few years, you're perfectly safe. And it'll be much healthier than living next door to a coal-fired power station or living below the wall of a big dam, for example. So there's, um, in, the, in the entire history of nuclear power, nobody has ever died from nuclear radiation except at Chernobyl in Russia. And that was because of design criteria in that reactor and less than 60 people died there. Not one person died at Fukushima. Not one person was even injured at Fukushima from nuclear radiation. So even at like Fukushima, when one of the worst situations imaginable actually occurred, Nobody got hurt from nuclear radiation. So this sort of inordinate fear that is propagated deliberately by many people is just totally not true. So one should have faith in the South African nuclear scientists who internationally recognized and who know exactly what they are doing. We respect it all over the world for, um, for our expertise. And can we can design and build. Yeah. Can, I, can I ask, is there any sort of limit to how many can be built or uh, what's, whether they service, uh, service the energy needs of a mine or the energy needs of a town? No, not at all. You can build as many as you like. Now, uh, uh, if you take a city like East London, for example, I don't know offhand what their power consumption is, but two or three or maybe four of these or something will supply East London. And that's the size of uh, rugby fields. So they're very compact and there's a lot of power. They're completely reliable as well. They run 24-7. Mm-hmm. And that's critical because as wind and solar, as I said, they don't. If you put the nuclear in place and switch it on, so to speak, it just runs. The pebble bed reactors, the HTML 100, you don't even switch them off for refueling because all you do is you throw new balls in at the top and when the spent balls come out the bottom, you take them to storage. So you mm-hmm. keep feeding these balls in at a very slow rate. Incidentally, Sarah, mm-hmm. if you take something like three or four of these balls, in other words, you could carry them in a handbag, that would supply enough electricity for your family for your entire lifetime. That's it. 
Now, you can't carry around enough coal to supply electricity <laughs> to your family for a lifetime. That's how compact the nuclear fuel is. Mm -hmm. And South Africans know how to build these reactors. We've designed them. We can become nuclear reactor exporters for mm -hmm. our HTML 100. As of now, something like 12 African countries have formally notified the International Atomic Energy Agency that they plan to follow a nuclear path into the future. More and more of them are making the statement they're tired of being pushed around by Europe and being mm. told to, to do what Europe tells them to. And they say, no, we want to do our own thing. We want nuclear power for the future. Now, I'm, I do not believe fossil fuels are a problem with respect to carbon dioxide. But yes, they produce sulfur dioxide mm. and various other things and so on. So we saw coal displaced those things that came before it, such as peat and wood and so on, the natural progression. Coal brought around the Industrial Revolution, which accelerated mankind into the modern era at the time of the reign of Queen Victoria and the presidency of Abraham Lincoln and so on. And that is what it did. I believe coal will slowly, over the next number of years, give way to nuclear. In centuries' time, maybe half a century's time, when people are flying to Mars and back and so on, they will teach in history classes, do you know what, way back at the beginning of the 21st century, we were still using coal, but now the whole world runs on nuclear power. Mm -hmm. it, I think it will just happen, but this inordinate fear of coal and this desperation now has really upset the electricity supply worldwide, and we are suffering as much as numbers of other countries are also suffering. My, so, my, yeah, my impression, um, before I close, is, is essentially that there was been a fairly condescending attitude to growth in Africa and what and it's and and similar areas of the world and their, their energy needs, but now for a variety of factors, including the war in Ukraine, the energy crises that the first world countries are experiencing are starting to create a much more realistic uh, a realistic sense of the situation. Dr. Calvin. Uh, Kim, thank you very much for joining us. Um, and it would be really nice to see us both help to resolve our own energy crisis as well as be a net exporter of small nuclear reactors. That that has yes. some <laughs> huge appeal. Thank you Absolutely. very, very much. And if there's anybody who wants to come and help us, please call me. We are only too happy as a private organization to collaborate with anybody and taking over a chunk of the world market. Thank you, Sarah, <laughs> so much for giving me this opportunity to have a chat to you. My pleasure.